Well, good morning. My name is Sam Payne, and I'm the youth minister here at our Southway campus, and just wanna welcome you to Grace. And so whether you've been here for many, many years, or whether it's your first time hopping in with us on a Sunday morning, we just wanna say welcome. We're super excited that you guys are here this morning as our local body of believers, and also the joy of just opening God's word together. And so this morning, we're in the book of Proverbs, but I wanna start off uh, with a number, and it's this number. 7,000, 7,000. See, 7,000 is the average number of words we say each day. 7,000 is the average number of words we say each day. Now, some of us may say way more than that. Some of us may actually say less than that. But on average, we have about 7,000 words out of our bank of vocabulary that we use throughout the day. And it's with these words that we wake up, we say good morning to our family, to our roommates, to our spouses. It's with these words that we're sitting at the breakfast table talking about our plans for the day, what we're gonna be doing, what our goals are, diving into a relationship with each other. It's with these words that we go to work and we plan, we have business meetings and we talk to coworkers. It's with these words that we go to school and learn. It's with these words that we have lunch meetings, with friends, and it's with these words at the end of the day that we recap as a family, recap as roommates, and say goodnight. And so with our words, these 7,000 words that we spend throughout the day, we can use them. And they're not just neutral words, right? Nobody has a conversation with the hopes of it not being understood or communicated. See, our words have meaning in the sense of we have something we want to communicate to people. Imagine two people trying to communicate and they're like, ah, what you're saying doesn't make any sense, right? That's not the goal. Our goal is to communicate. So our words have meaning, but not only that, they actually have power, right? They have actions that are required. So when my wife says, hey, Sam, I need you to go load the dishwasher, on a good day, I immediately go and do that. Most often, I forget about it, right? But the reality is when my wife says, hey, I need you to go load the dishwasher, what she's meaning is, please help out with the chores. We have dishes that need to be loaded. We have a house that needs to be cleaned. And the power of that comes from my response of saying, yes, I'll actually go and do this. So our words have not only meaning, but also power. And we see this not only in our own lives, but also globally, right? Sometimes globally our words affect massive change, right? We see this on 4th of July weekend, right? Give me liberty or give me death. The American Revolution, those words spurred global change. What about this one? I have a dream. Martin Luther King Jr., racial inequality, spurred massive change. What about this one in the Genesis account from the Lord saying, let there be light, and there was light. See, our words impact change, and our words have power and meaning. They're meant to be communicated. Now, not only does it affect globally, it also affects us personally. Imagine the first time your spouse or loved one says, I love you. The feeling of warmth, the feeling of security, of peace, of like, oh, yes, they love me. Or what about this? You're standing on your wedding day in front of your spouse, and you say these words, I do. You're stepping into a covenantal relationship with your significant other. Words have power. What about this one? I'm pregnant. 
That's a drastic change. About to bring another human being into the world. My sister uh, just had their first kid a week ago, and it's drastically changed. They said, we have not left our house in a week. It's like, oh, what's that like? Tough, right? I'm pregnant, drastically changing the world. And then this one, when your kid first says mommy, first says daddy, these words communicate importance. What about this one? You're about to graduate college, you're hoping to get a job, and you finally get that letter that says you're hired. It's like, yes, I finally have a job. My mom can finally stop asking what I'm doing after college. Finally got a job, right? We made it. But not only are our words good, our words can actually also hurt and destroy. Fellas, you're with me on this one where we probably should not tell our wives this. You're overreacting. Nobody wants to hear that. You're overreacting. Or what about this one? Maybe we've been on the end of this one. We need to talk. If you've ever had a broken heart and they've approached it this way, those are hard words. We need to talk. Or what about this? You're worthless. You'll never succeed. And why can't you be more like your brother, your dad, your friend? See, our words have power. They can elicit good feelings and responses in us but they can also be really hurtful and really piercing. And so this morning, as we look at the book of Proverbs, as we see that we have those 7,000 words at our, disposable, at our disposal throughout the day, what do we do with those? What do we do with the words that we have? And do we think God's word has anything to say about it? And see, the reality is we have a choice with our voice. If you get nothing more from this morning, just remember this, we have a choice with our voice. The words we say, the speech we use, the way we communicate, there's always choices with that. We can choose with our words to bring life, to bring meaning, to bring importance, or we can choose to bring destruction and to bring hurt. So this morning, as we look at the book of Proverbs, we're gonna try to build a framework for how we can use our words in the hopes of how do we promote people to the Lord and promote people towards righteousness. So with that framework, we're gonna walk through three different things, why we speak, when we speak, and how we speak. And so we're gonna look at the book of Proverbs. And if you remember Proverbs, it's our summer series, really short statements, uh, the goal, or the, it, it's really not hard to understand the book of Proverbs. It's incredibly difficult to imply the book of Proverbs. So my goal, even up here, is not necessarily to explain the text because you really don't need it explained. My goal is just to provide opportunities for maybe different ways where we can apply this this morning. So why we speak, when we speak, how we speak, those 7,000 words, what choices do we have with our words? So let's go, why we speak. Uh, and this is from Proverbs 10. So Proverbs 10, 11. So here we go. The speech of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the speech of the wicked conceals violence. The speech of the righteous, fountain of life, speech of the wicked conceals violence. So you have these two different avenues when we talk about why are we speaking, the purpose of our speech, 
We can either be righteous in the way we talk, which provides life, or we can be wicked in the way we talk, which provides violence. And so the mouth of the righteous behind that and our speech and our talk, it's like this desert oasis. It's refreshing, it's like rejuvenating. And so when you come into contact with somebody who just has really righteous speech, who just cares and loves for you, it's refreshing. We enjoy it. We want to be with that person. Compared to the person who's wicked, whose speech really only just elicits violence. So when you talk with them, you can feel your heart like start pumping a little bit more, you get a little kind of anxious, your fists start clenching, and you're like, oh, the more I'm with that person, I just leave angry. The way they talk, even if it's not even about us, but the way they talk just elicits violence in our lives. So the speech of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the speech of the wicked conceals violence. And so our choice this morning when we talk about why we're speaking, is our speech provoking or is it promoting? So our speech provoking or is it promoting? Provoking, right, is like eliciting typically an angry type of vibe in somebody else, right? So we're provoking them towards anger or promoting them, which is encouraging. So when we speak to others, are we trying to get a rise out of them or are we trying to encourage them? And the reality is, in our lives, in our families, in our friends, it's pretty easy for us to know what buttons to push in our relationships. It's pretty easy to know what buttons to push. However, that's provoking. How can we encourage or promote others with why we speak? And so one of the things maybe we can work on, maybe one of the things that we can do is to practice encouragement. When we're looking at talking, when we're looking at communicating with people, how can we encourage others? Uh, Every May, our youth team across all of our different campuses get together and we like plan for the whole next year. So it's like this two-day thing, we plan a ton, we go through like content curriculum, we talk about all the events we're gonna do together, all the stuff we're gonna try to do at a campus level, all the different visions and goals and pretty much everything gets done in those two days. But the reality is when you have 10 plus people who are all multiple years of youth experience and are at different campuses, sometimes that can cause some tension because what we may wanna do at our own individual campus may be a little bit different than somebody else's campus and that's fine. But how do we continue to work together? How do we continue to have unity as one or as one church, but multiple campuses. And it was really cool when we talk about this provoking versus promoting, is at the very beginning, one of our youth pastors had like a devotional, and at the end of it, his encouragement was, hey, during this time, I want each of us to write, just on a little three by five index card, a note of encouragement to every other person on the team. You know how hard it is to be combative when you just wrote an encouragement to somebody? <laughs> it's really hard. And it was really cool. I didn't even realize it until uh, you know, a couple days later of just how freeing that was of having to sit down, intentionally care, and intentionally encourage somebody else. And what that did for unity on our team. And so we, as Grace Bible Church Southwood, as believers in Jesus Christ, have opportunities with our speech to intentionally encourage others. 
So my question this morning, right, when we talk about why we speak, is there somebody even this week that you can encourage? Maybe it's your boss at your job. And you're like, man, I feel like I keep getting frustrated with him or I keep getting like this, this anxious feeling. Maybe this week the Lord's putting it on your heart to write or talk with them or encourage them. Maybe it's somebody in your family that's like, man, I feel like me and one of my daughters is just having this really tough patch together. So I'm gonna intentionally encourage her this week. What is one way, just in whatever sphere of influence you have, what is one way that we can speak life and be an oasis to somebody else? In a world that is very toxic in our speech, how can we be different and encourage others? So how can we practice encouragement when we go through the process of why we speak? So when we speak. So first part, why we speak, when we speak. Check this out, this is Proverbs 17. And it says this, even a fool who remains silent is considered wise, ouch. And the one who holds his tongue is deemed discerning. So even a fool who remains silent is wise, and even the one who holds his tongue is deemed discerning. So when we talk about this avenue of when we speak, sometimes the most godly thing for us to do is to not talk. Sometimes the most godly thing for us to do is not talk. Why? Because we can be seen as a fool. See, fools are only revealed when they talk. And the person who has control over his tongue, his control over his speech, is deemed discerning. And so for us this morning, when we talk about when we speak, should we speak, really the two areas are, are we dominating in our conversations or are we discerning in our conversations? Right, a dominant person talks the entire time, talks without thinking, and has an opinion on everything, right? We know those people. Maybe it's you, who knows? If you don't know those person or that person, it might be you. Or are we discerning and saying, should this be a moment that I need to engage in, right? The reality is if all of us as believers are always silent, that's not good. But if we are always opinionated or talking, that's not good as well. So how are we discerning in our speech? How are we discerning in how we communicate with others? Are we dominating or discerning? It was really cool in our, in our youth ministry, the way we're set up, we have a bunch of small groups. And so each of our students are in their own age and gender of their small groups. Uh, and one of the ways we've really been trying to put kind of this into practice is uh, practicing silence which is crazy for junior hires or high school students to be silent, but they do it and it's awesome. And we'll actually, in our small groups, uh, it's not uncommon for us to ask a question and then sometimes even before we finish the question, we already have students chiming in trying to answer. Not always super helpful. And so one of the things we've been a little bit more proactive in doing is saying, hey, we're gonna ask a question and I'm actually gonna set a timer for two minutes, and I don't want anyone to say anything. And those two minutes will go by, they'll go by pretty fast. You think it's gonna be awkward, it's really not. 
Most of the time, our hesitation with silence is we're like, ooh, it's just awkward. It's really not. We can do it. But what we found out is after those couple of minutes, not only the answers that our students give are way more wise, but the pace of the small group is much slower. Meaning, nobody is trying to dominate the conversation. Nobody is thinking, oh, I gotta say something now or I won't be able to say anything for 45 minutes. Sometimes, the most godly thing for us to do is to listen and to wait and to be silent. And it is so refreshing and encouraging to see our junior high and high school students be able to do that. We never thought that that would be something that would be really beneficial, but it's been really cool. And we've seen it time and time again in our groups. And so for us, is there an area of our life where we would benefit from being silent? What would it look like if you took one of your coworkers to lunch and said, my goal is to see how little I can talk and how many questions I can ask of them? What would it look like for our families if we shared the conversational load with everybody else? What would it look like for our friend group? What would it look like in our relationships? See, those that hold their tongue are deemed discerning. There is a skill and an art of knowing when to speak. So how can we practice silence in our relationships? How can we practice being still and listening to others? Man, what a really cool skill that would be if people know us as like, man, that's Sam, that's the dude who I know when I go meet with him, he's gonna care and ask me questions versus, oh man, I gotta go meet with Sam again, great. We're gonna play a game. How many words can I actually say this time, right? How can we be silent? How can we care? How can we ask questions? How can we use those 7,000 words to dive into a relationship with others? Man, how cool would that be? So we've done why we speak, when we speak. Uh, let's talk about how we speak. And so this one, uh, it's in Proverbs 12. So Proverbs 12, 18, speaking recklessly is like the thrusts of a sword, but the words of the wise bring healing. So speaking recklessly is like thrusts of the sword, but the words of the wise bring healing. So again, you have these two choices with our words. If you speak recklessly, it's like thrustings of a sword. Hurts, it pierces, it scars us, or the words of the wise bring healing. It feels good, it heals us, provides encouragement. And so for us this morning, the two different ways, how, do, how we speak, are we careless or controlled in our speech? Are we careless or controlled? Do we let whatever's in our noggin be completely visible and audible to everyone. If it's in here, it's out there, right? Is that where we're at? Because that's gonna cause a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. I'm just looking at my life and the, some of the stuff that goes on in my head is not fit for out there. Imagine the hurt that we cause when we just speak carelessly without any repercussions of what's going on. Or are we controlled in our speech in order to bring 
healing? Are we controlled in our speech in order to bring healing? So we have two options. Are we careless? Are we flippant? Do we say whatever pops into our head at the expense of anybody else? Or are we controlled and say, is this something that I should be saying? Is this something that I should be saying? So once I, after I graduated college, I uh, actually was an engineer, went and worked for an oil company for about a year, and part of their training program was I had to spend time on an oil rig. And so I was a floor hand, I basically just washed the rig, uh, made pipe connections, did all the like normal stuff uh, that a roughneck on an oil rig would do. And it was so fun. But if you know anything about oil field workers, uh, they're kind of an unruly bunch of people, right? Coarse language, uh, crazy, most have been in and out of prison. Uh, and so it's not uncommon uh, when we talk about careless speech to let anything fly. And so that was just the environment that I was around. And I, I don't know for sure, but I was fairly certain that for all the different rigs that I was on, I was the only believer. I don't know for sure but I wouldn't be surprised. And so I did a bunch of different rigs in South Texas. I did some rigs in Oklahoma. I went with electricians. I went with mechanics. I went with all these different people for about a year doing 14 days on at 12 hours and then seven days off. And for my year, that was the whole time. But when I, when I look at, man, how we speak, are we careless or controlled, uh, there was not a bigger or stark comparison than me compared to oil rig workers somebody who is trying to watch their speech, someone who is trying to live out uh, the gospel in, in every area of my life, comparably to people who ju just did not care about what other people thought. They were so blunt, and it didn't matter. But the interesting part about all of this was the conversations. It didn't matter which group I was a part of, which rig I was on. Every single two weeks, there was always at least three or four really deep meaningful conversations that I had with people. And see, that's what happens when your speech is different. People would come to me and they would say, wow, Sam actually cares about me and he's not gonna make fun of me for this or he actually cares about this. And so when we talk about is our speech careless or controlled, are we practicing compassion? Do we care about people? I was 23 years old and I was having marriage conversations with some of my coworkers who were idiots. They were so dumb. And I was like, you're asking a 23-year-old who's never been married, who wasn't even dating anybody at the time, about marriage advice. And the reality was, it was because I listened and I cared. And I had controlled speech. Every single rig, without fail, there was many conversations I had where people would come in essence, I got paid to counsel rig workers. That's really what I did. I may have been pressure washing, but I'm listening to Jimmy about all of his problems and talking with him, right? And the amount of conversations, I kid you not, was just phenomenal in how the Lord used that because of my speech. The atmosphere about me, the way I conducted myself, everything about me was just so different than the culture around, which led to really cool conversations. In church, we have the cool opportunity once we leave here, once we go out into the world, your speech can be one of the first things that people notice about us and can point to the Lord. And what a really cool opportunity we have for that. And so how we speak, are we careless or controlled? 
And do we practice compassion? Is there someone this week where you're like, man, Sam, I know that one person's gonna come and talk with me again and I gotta listen to them and I have to care. How can we practice compassion? How can we practice compassion when our kids are upset and as a parent, we're like, this is really dumb. This is not a big thing and they're freaking out. How can we show compassion for them? How can we show compassion for our roommates when they're going through a breakup? How do we show compassion for our friends? See, our speech can be used by God to promote righteousness and to promote godliness. And so this morning, the three different ways, why we speak, when we speak, how we speak. It'd be really nice if we would leave here and we'd be like, all right, Lord, change me. And we walk away and all of these areas are changed. Wouldn't that be nice? But the reality is how the Lord works is often very slow and over many, many years. So my goal for us this morning, as we look at this list of why we speak, when we speak, how we speak, is there an area that is automatically popping off and saying, man, that's an area that I struggle with. Man, if me and Sam were having coffee and he asked me, hey, which one of these do you struggle with? That's the one that I would say. And maybe the Lord is asking you to work on that this week. And so what is one thing you can do? One thing. Not asking to change the world, but what is one thing And Sam, in my speech, I'm actually more provoking others than promoting. Or hey, Sam, in my speech, I'm actually dominating the conversations in all my friend groups rather than discerning of when I should speak. Or hey, Sam, I'm actually more careless and I just let things fly. I don't really think about what I say before I I say it and I'm not a control person. So what is one area, what is one way that we as a church family can walk in this this week. See, our words matter to God. See, we have a choice with our voice. We have 7,000 words each day, 7,000 for us to promote godliness or righteousness, or we have 7,000 to destroy and hurt and stab. So how do we use that? How do we use that for God's glory? How do we use that in accordance with God's will? We have a choice with our voice. How people hear us can be seen and used for God's glory. So that's my hope. Why we speak, when we speak, how we speak. Which one of those three can the Lord work, excuse me, work on this week? Because we have a choice of how we use our voice. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. God, we thank you that you care about our words, God, you care about the things that we say. You care about the things that we we do. And so, Lord, I just pray, even right now in this moment, God, that you begin to convict our hearts. God, if there's different ways that uh, we are using our speech that is not honoring to you, if there's different ways that we are uh, talking about people that is not glorifying to you, Lord, may you change that. God, through your spirit, may you convict us of our speech And God, may you make us aware of different ways that we can grow. God, we have an awesome ability to be able to communicate with each other and with you. And Lord, that our words have power and they have meaning. So God, we just pray with those 7,000 words. May you use those for your glory and may we use those uh, for your kingdom. 
We pray all this in your son's name.